Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good evening, folks. Uh, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Well, a few days ago, I was at the rally in Duluth. One of the things that President Trump talked about was uh, what he said was an enormously successful meeting uh, with Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea. He says that uh, it was an unqualified success and that it's going to lead to a dramatic and almost immediate denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Uh, Mr. Trump, of course, has been known uh, and criticized sometimes for a bit of hyperbole. Certainly, this meeting was a breakthrough, something that was almost uh, really could not have been imagined even a short time ago. But the implications of the meeting uh, are being debated. The future is being debated. The intent, the motivations of the North Koreans still under debate. No one is more knowledgeable in this country than Gordon Chang. He is the author of Nuclear Showdown. He is one of the foremost experts on North Korea and, and its politics and Kim Jong-un, and he is kind enough to join us now. Uh, Gordon Chang, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Well, thank you so much for asking. All right. Well, listen, let me ask you, uh, you heard the intro, President Trump saying it's an unqualified success, that it's going to lead to the denuclearization of the Korean p- Peninsula. Your thoughts? Well, I certainly hope so, um, but uh, clearly the objective signs from the summit indicate otherwise. If you go back to the end of May, President Trump was, through some brilliant diplomacy, actually pushing the North Koreans around. They were the only ones making concessions. The U.S. was getting some really important, I think, benefits out of this. But when we get to the summit, it was only the President Trump making concessions. And I think that he could have gotten a lot more from the North Koreans. He, sa- he that- says he claimed, I mean, because this is, he was at this rally and it was, you know, obviously filled with supporters. It was a campaign event, basically. And, and he said, we gave away nothing. It doesn't sound like you feel that's the case. No, and I did, I did see the, the rally on television. If certainly he gave away something critically important, and that is just meeting with Kim Jong-un. That legitimized the North Korean ruler, solidified his rule at home. And this is one of the important things that Kim is trying to get from this whole denuclearization process, was that meeting with President Trump. President Trump got a very weak joint statement, and he also gave the North Koreans something that I think they probably just sort of thought was um, falling out of heaven, and that was a suspension of the U.S.-South Korea military drills, something that the North Koreans have hated President Trump at the press conference after the June 12th summit actually was using North Korean language to describe the drills. President Trump called them provocative. They're certainly not. They're defensive drills. And at the same time, the North Koreans did not agree to drop their drills. So this was a big win for the North Koreans in addition to having the summit itself. Um, In terms of um, what Kim Jong-un is talking about, what – you know, and, and where he is poised. I mean, what do you think his motives really are? I mean, it, it, the, the the president, President Trump, suggesting that that Kim Jong Un perhaps is has a goal to be a transformative figure. 
Oh, you know, we certainly hope so. And I think that it was right for our president to give Kim that one opportunity to be that transformative figure. But there are really few indications that Kim wants to do that. Because although he may personally want to be that figure, nonetheless, he's in a regime that restricts what he can do. And so, therefore, it's going to be very difficult for him because not only does Kim have to want to do that, he's got to push the regime to let him do that. And that's going to be extremely difficult. I hope that it's the case. You know, there have been stranger things that have happened. Um, President Trump obviously knows a lot more what went on than we do. But nonetheless, from the outside signs, there's very little indication that we're heading in the right direction. Now, this is not to say President Trump can't rescue this situation. The U.S. has overwhelming leverage. But it does mean that the United States will have to work uphill. All right. In terms of, of do we have any idea what the average person in North Korea saw of this or what kind of news they're getting? They got very little news. There was about two or three days of news which showed that Kim, in a very positive light, that he was considered uh, to be an object of adoration um, when he was in Singapore. So, for instance, his walkabout on the day night before the summit was highly uh, publicized. Um, Kim was... Uh, portrayed as being a great world leader um, and uh, certainly someone on the on par with President Trump. There was only about two or three days of news, and that was it. And the reason is that North Korea has other things it wants to talk about, and it certainly doesn't want to discuss Kim's pledge of supposedly giving up nuclear weapons. That's not something that he wants to have widely circulated. So there was a limit to what the North Koreans saw and heard. And in terms of, of, you know, the conditions of the people there, I believe that there was a soldier that defected uh, a few months ago, and I think he had – they were found sort of raw cr- corn kernels in his stomach and, and you know, intestines, it, it, suggesting that he was eating, you know, uncooked corn. Uh, obviously, the issue of mal- malnutrition and, and starvation and the con- living conditions in North Korea have been talked about uh, for, for a long, long time, but – you know, to me, the, the thought that, that a, a, a soldier who was, you know, right on, um, you know, presumably one of North Korea's finest was starving it suggests that, that, that really the conditions in that country must be terrible. Yeah, for, for most people, the conditions are terrible. And that soldier who defected November 13th had, as you mentioned, uncooked kernels of corn in his suggestive track. He was at one of the most sensitive posts in the North Korean military, and that is in the joint security area in the demilitarized zone. So they had every reason to keep him fed. And he was a soldier who got that post probably because he was very well connected, perhaps in Pyongyang. So that is shocking. Also, there was a soldier who was just mustered out who died of starvation on a train. Now, for some North Koreans who are very favored, um, the Dongju, the money class, they're doing very well. But there's a big split between um, the favored few and the rest of the people. That's always been true, but I think it's even more so now. And in terms of, of what comes next, is that really sort of an unknown? It's unknown for people on the outside. Um, when uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, gave an interview to Hugh Hewitt on MSNBC, um, he, uh, Pompeo um, would not answer the question whether there were terms which were not disclosed, indicating that they probably were. Um, we have got to, you know, we'll find out about that in the coming months. Um, but President Trump is on a high wire act right now, having given away so much to the North Koreans. 
So um, to his credit, he's gotten Pompeo and others negotiating with the North Koreans immediately. But we've got to see progress, because if we don't, then we have to switch very fast, because time is now working on Kim Jong-un's side. It's not working on ours anymore. And in terms of South Koreans, what 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 is the attitude there? Because, I mean, there are many people who still have – this is going back, obviously, a couple of generations, but, you know, relatives or, or extended family there in North Korea who are living in South Korea. Yes. And, and uh, starting August 20, there's going to be uh, reunions between North and South Koreans. Um, South Korea picks 100 people. North Korea picks 100 people. Now, that's just a drop in the bucket. Um, North Korea has been using family reunions, uh, sort of doling them out in order to coerce the South Korean government. It's been a very cynical process. But nonetheless, at least um, you're going to see 100 families um, being reunited. And at least that's a that that's a that's a good thing, um, but not nearly enough. North Korea should just allow all the reunions that uh, are possible at this time. Um, in terms of um, uh, you know the, the news coverage there, I imagine that was probably saturated in South Korea. Well, certainly, because Moon Jae-in, the South Korean president, has been a driver of events. And so um, he's gotten a lot of credit for putting everything together. Um, but we've got to be concerned about Moon because he's virulently anti-American. His advisors um, in their youths advocated the overthrow of the South Korean government by North Korea. And th- many of those advisors have not disavowed their earlier views. So we should assume that Moon is working um, with Kim Jong-un to undermine interests of most South Koreans because they do want to see uh, a unification of uh, South and North Korea. And it won't be on South Korea's terms if Moon gets his way. So we've got to be concerned about that. All right. Well, listen, Gordon Chang, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your insights. Thank you so much for asking. Absolutely. All right. Gordon Chang, the author of Nuclear Showdown, one of the preeminent experts on North Korea uh, in this entire nation, really actually the world because so few people know about uh, what what is happening in that nation. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to be joined by uh, Ellen Mitchell, a defense reporter for The Hill. Uh, President Trump directed the Pentagon to create a space force this week. Uh, Ellen Mitchell will talk about that and what it would take to add a branch of military in space. It is 722 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Well, when President Trump was here... Uh, in Duluth earlier this week, and he also has been talking about this elsewhere. He wants the Pentagon to create a space force, uh, basically a, a branch of the military in space. This certainly would be a, a revolutionary change in terms of our armed forces. Uh, Ellen Mitchell is a defense reporter for The Hill. Ellen, uh, how long has this this idea, this proposal been sort of in the works Well, it seems like it is a fairly new idea for the president. Um, Basically, the House Armed Services Committee last year, uh, some members tried to create a Space Corps, which would be under the Air Force. Um, They wanted more attention uh, placed on space. They said China and Russia, our adversaries, are doing things there that we haven't caught up with yet. And... It was really kind of shot down by the Pentagon and the White House. Basically, they said it would add too much bureaucracy. They didn't want it at this time. And then 
all of a sudden in March, uh, we see President Trump in San Diego. He's talking to uh, uh, some uh, military uh, personnel, and he says, oh, I think this is a great idea. Um, nothing really comes of it. And then all of a sudden we see on Monday, he just surprisingly announces that he wants to stand this up. You know, in terms of, uh, you know, watching the president speak on, um, and I've covered him a few times, but at this expansive rally, he did kind of get into this and he seemed to be speaking pretty clearly not from a script. And how much is this is the president who likes to talk in a big way about big things that he's enthusiastic about? How much of that of this is that and how much of it is based on actual science or, or work that the Pentagon has done? Uh, well, actually, the Pentagon is working on a report right now. It was in the uh, annual defense policy bill last year. The um, They said that, hey, let's do a study to see what it would cost and everything we'd need to do to stand up a Space Corps. Um, so that's coming in August. Uh, so right now, what we see President Trump talking about, it really seems to be just, you know, off the fly. He has this idea in his head that, you know, it seems that he just wants to create this. He did, um, he has shown a big interest in space. We saw last year um, he uh, reestablished the National Space Council uh, that had been out of commission. He put Vice President Pence ahead of it. Um, he just seems to really, I think, be enamored with the idea of a space force. He has always been a president that, you know, really loves the military. He really loves talking about it. Um, so I think uh, what we're seeing him talk about is largely just off the cuff. Right. And that, that's what it, it, it appeared, you know, when he did mention it uh, on Wednesday as well. In terms of, of, you know, the budget, he does talk a lot on, on the stump about um, expanding the military and, and you know, expanding military funding and, and you know, supporting the military. What, what's the reality in terms of the kinds of funding that, that's being directed at military forces? I mean, what are you hearing as you kind of talk to your sources about sort of morale and, and this view of this really unusual president who, who's really sort of almost a singular operative at times, kind of cutting against the grain of his own, um, you know, defense team and, and really sort of almost almost going off solo at times. Well, I do know that people at the Pentagon and at the Hill are certainly happy that he has taken such an interest in defense. Um, the defense budget that they passed last year was $700 billion. That was a huge increase um, over what it had been in years past. But um, and on the other hand, he, because he goes off the cuff so much and seems to uh, throw ideas out there. I mean, in this case, with the Space Force, um, we're seeing reports where he had mentioned it uh, in March, and because he didn't think officials got on it quick enough, he ordered it on Monday. And so they're happy that they're getting attention and they're getting more money than they have in years past. But on the other hand, with a president that just, speaks on the fly so frequently they can't really predict what he might, you know, throw an order out to do. And I think they, they might be frustrated about that. 
Um, in terms of um, uh, is there any frustration because you even hear from, from some of the generals, obviously there's been turnover uh, at the White House. Uh, is there continued frustration with, with the president sometimes going off on a tangent that hasn't really been cleared with all, all the powers that be? Well, you'll never hear them say they're frustrated, uh, Pentagon officials. Um, it's kind of been in this administration, Trump throws out something and then the Pentagon follows. Scrambles. With a very, <laughs> <laughs> the Pentagon follows with a very vague statement that says, yes, we're looking into this. Um, for example, when he said this on Monday, he wanted the Space Force, uh, the uh, White House chief spokeswoman, uh, sorry, Pentagon chief spokeswoman, Dana White, uh, she put out a statement that said, we understand the president's guidance. Our policy board will begin working on this issue. Uh, and that was about it. Uh, so you'll never hear that they're frustrated. Uh, if you do, it's always people speaking off the record or on background. Um, but yeah, yeah, and, and you, you know, one here is also about you know General Kelly that that perhaps he is close to leaving. About that, I have not heard that. I mean, but that's been going on for weeks. That's been going on for a while. <laughs> yes. um, this this administration, it's always who's going to leave next, but we can never predict. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, uh, Ellen, thank you so much. We certainly appreciate uh, your time. Uh, Ellen Mitchell, defense reporter for The Hill, we appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, Esme Murphy is still ahead. We've got uh, coming up in our next half hour, we're going to talk with an expert on uh, video game disorders, gaming disorder. Uh, for those of you who might have kids or even uh, – it's usually guys. We'll, we'll ask her about that. But uh, this is an actual disorder now. We're going to talk to a medical expert about that. We're also going to give you some um, uh, weather here in a few minutes. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, normally we talk with Professor David Schultz. We're actually going to talk with Stephen Shear. Uh, he is a former professor of political science at Carleton College. And we're going to ask him about uh, really some of these political happenings, including um, Trump's visit and the extraordinary situation we find with, uh, in fact, four congressional seats, uh, four of Minnesota's eight congressional seats that are um, uh, you know, up for grabs and are political toss-ups. So uh, keep it right here, folks. You're listening to News Radio 8. All right, folks. Uh, we are having trouble getting a hold of our next guest, um, Tara Bates-Buford. Uh, she's a marriage and family therapist to talk about uh, video gaming disorder. So, uh, folks, uh, we are going to have to uh, tap dance a little bit as we continue to try and reach her. Uh, and uh, if Dr. Buford is out there, uh, if she can give us a call, that would be great. And coming up uh, in our 8 o'clock hour, we're going to have Stephen Shear. He's a former professor of political science at Carleton College, and we are going to uh, talk with him about the fact that you've got uh, four of eight congressional districts in the state of Minnesota that are up for grabs right now. Uh, They're considered toss-ups. Uh, we're also going to talk about President Trump's visit uh, to Duluth. I actually covered that visit, and uh, it really was a remarkable visit. I mean, you know, whatever you say about President Trump, you may disagree with him. You may be a fan. It was a remarkable speech. I mean, he spoke for a, just about an hour and he uh, – basically a lot of it was without notes. 
Uh, he did have the teleprompter up there, so it's hard to tell in this kind of a situation if he's going off a teleprompter or, or not. But in, in some parts, he clearly wasn't. And um, I, I guess I'd like to hear from you on, on your thoughts on the president. Uh, give us a call, 651-989-9226, I'm going to try and get our texting line here, 81807. I'm having trouble getting that up as well. But what are your thoughts? I, were any of you at the rally uh, in Duluth? Did any of you watch it streaming? Uh, what did you think about the president's style in terms of his appeal to voters? And do you think as uh, – you know, th- those at the rally said that Minnesota has the potential to become a Republican state, uh, a red state. It has been actually uh, – since Richard Nixon ran in 1972, that's the last time, the last time that uh, Minnesota voted for a Republican for president. And Donald Trump, candidate Donald Trump came very, very close. He came with within 50,000 votes of winning Minnesota. It was a big surprise to a lot of people. He says had he made one more visit here, he could have won. Yet, and I don't know, maybe that's the case, but what do you think? And will there be a red wave or a blue wave this year? You had people from the Republican Party, including Jennifer Carnahan, the the chair, saying uh, that there was going to be uh, a red wave, whereas you have people like Congressman Keith Ellison, who's a deputy chair of the DNC, saying there's going to be uh, a blue wave. Uh, what do you think? Give us a call, 651-989-9226, 1-866-989-9226. What are your thoughts about uh, the current Trump administration, and what do you think is going to happen in the midterm elections? We would love to hear from you. Give us a call, 651-989-9226, 1-866-989-9226. We're going to take a break, and I'm going to try and get our text line working. Uh, so hopefully you could text us as well. But give us a call on the break. We'll take your calls after we come back. We have reached our doctor, Dr. Tara Bates Duford. She's a marriage and family therapist to talk about video gaming disorder. And uh, doctor, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Bates DeFord. Bates DeFord. My apologies, doctor. Uh, Dr. Bates DeFord, what, what, what is video gaming disorder? Because I think, you know, I, I'm a parent. I've got, you know, many of my friends have kids and I think we've all seen kids. I tend to be boys. I've got a boy and a girl. And you you see them getting hooked into these video games, and it's just they're zoned in. And for most kids, it's it's a distraction. It's like TV or whatever. But clearly, I know people who's who's who are worried about their loved one spending too much time playing video games. It's excessive gaming. It's um, something that a, a lot of people are unaware that has been leading into addiction. It is something that is interfering with daily functioning. Um, You no longer see, especially teenage boys, you know, hanging out with friends, socializing, but instead what they're doing is spending more and more time gaming away from others. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things when you say gaming, it sort of used to be the console and, you know, kind of mounted on on a TV screen. But is this also – is are the games that are increasingly on our on phones, is that a problem too? 
I think more it is, but I think more so because the games are becoming more and more sophisticated, and you can actually meet other gamers. It is um, similar to almost like online dating. People create avatars, and you're able to engage with another avatar. But what I'm finding is teenagers are actually meeting each other offline based upon the gaming system. And, you know, in terms of those meetings, because I think that that's something, and I think a lot of times parents aren't, you know, they know that you can meet other people on these gaming networks and, and who are playing the video game with you and you can play against somebody in another state or another country. Obviously, that raises all kinds of questions and concerns. Have you run into issues where parents weren't aware of the full scope of the child's or young person's online activity in terms of how they're connecting to people they don't know. Absolutely. I've worked with parents that were totally unaware that it was possible. They thought in order to meet someone, you had to be on some sort of gaming, some sort of dating line or this swipe left or right. They didn't realize that people were meeting, their teenagers were meeting offline. They didn't even realize that older adults were playing, and when the teen would go out to meet up with this individual, that it was a grown adult. So this is something new for them. Right. Uh, Also, you know, I also know people who are not teenagers. Uh, I know people who are – I've got to be careful here. I know people who are worried about uh, their husbands. And, or their boyfriends and how much they play. I mean, this, I, I would think, could be a disaster for many relationships. It is, and it's transcending a lot of age groups. Um, it's interfering with romantic relationships, family relationships. I've had an extreme case where an adult male in his late 30s, early 40s, would sit in front of the gaming system for hours, even opting to wear an adult diaper. <gasps> so it didn't interfere with his gaming time. Oh my! Wow. Okay, that that obviously is is a line that, that that's being crossed. Is it? You know, one of the things too about these games, and I, you know, I, folks, if you, if you haven't seen the latest sort of iterations of these games, they're also so realistic, and and there's the role playing, and you become a character, and it, it's like you're in this fantasy world, whether you're a soldier or that's that's one of the ones that that, that my son has played, and it's just. It's it's disturbing to me how real some of this looks. Oh, it's very. And what I found also is a lot of people that struggle with communicating with others that experience that are experiencing low self esteem or social awkwardness are creating avatars that are a complete departure from who they are in the real world. And they play so much that sometimes it seems like they're losing touch with reality. They don't know how to relate to others anymore unless they're gaming. Let me ask you, and we're speaking with uh, Dr. Tara bates DeFord. She is a marriage and family therapist. Uh, Why is it, do you think, from your experience, from your expertise, doctor, that it's primarily men or boys as opposed to, to girls and women? I think women, girls are more in tune with speaking. Women are more verbal and we talk a lot more. With men, it's more of a sporting, how they get along, how they interact, how they relate to others. So this whole gaming system allows them to engage in these war games. They're able to kind of, you know, have that broship going on, but it is transcending to a lot of females as well. 
So they get to act out the war games, the fighting, and they don't necessarily have to share any vulnerability or any real feelings with another male. They can play with someone, not ever see them, and just continue that almost like machismo. Wow. And and let me ask you, because you mentioned that this can transcend ages. It's not just teens, it's adults. Does it really transcend all sort of socioeconomic groups? Yes. It really yes. does. Okay. I've had people lose very lucrative jobs because of gaming, missing deadlines, um, late with assignments, um, staying up all night and being totally disorganized for a meeting. Wow. And, you know, in terms of the fact that, that there are more and more games also on our phones as well, what, I mean, how do you, when somebody comes to you with saying either I've got a loved one or I've got a problem, what do you, how, what is the treatment? How, how do you begin working with somebody? You, you work with them as, as if you're working with any other addiction. Um, gambling was not readily recognized before. It's an impulsive, addictive act. So you work with them along those lines, like what's going on? What are you, what's going on in your life that you feel that you need some sort of escapism to relieve yourself of this tension? Because that's what gaming and other addictions usually stem from, not feeling good enough, feeling unable to manage stressors unable to, you know, assert yourself in a certain way. So we deal with it as one of the addictions and and an impulse disorder. Individual psychotherapy, family therapy, um, impulse control, and stress management. You know, does this go hand in hand with the fact that, that, you know, there are so many, I mean, we've had these arguments in in my own family for years, and, you know, my husband said, well, take away the phone or take away this or whatever. And it just the, – the problem is there are so many devices uh, in our lives these days. It's not just the phone or the TV or, or the um, Xbox. It, it's the iPads. I mean we all have so many multiple devices and oftentimes kids are, are assigned devices by their schools. I mean that's a very common thing as well. Yeah. I mean is how do you deal with that? I mean how can you help us out trying to deal with this as, as parents? I think implementing more family time. As we've as we're getting older, technology is improving. We have to look at the fact that we are decreasing our family times. And think about it this way. Obesity with children on the rise because they're playing more electronic games than they are actually going outside and engaging in physical play. Right. We have to log and monitor the hours that our teens and young children are online. When they log on, when they log off, are their are their grades slipping? Are they missing assignments? When you try to limit play, do they get angry or anxious? Those are red flags that something is going on. So when you take or decrease the time that they're online, in, incorporate more family time, more outing, more you know mother and son, father and son, family situations, camping, those sort of things. Without those, they have no other outlet for this energy. You know, I wonder, Dr. Uh, Bates Buford, uh, DeFord, rather, uh, I, I almost wonder if there's a whole generation growing up. I mean, I've seen kids, my kids, texting their friends when they're sitting next to them in the car. And I'm going, what are you guys doing? You know, yeah. talk to each other. You know, you, you guys like each other. You're friends. I, I mean, it, it almost, you. I almost wonder, you know, 
how some of these young people are going to be able to interact as as they try to navigate adult relationships? Not well. Um, Not well at all. As they are playing more, it's impacting communication and processing. Research has been extensive on this. What's happening is when you used to walk up to someone and start a conversation, kids can make a friend in a day. I mean, have a best friend at the end of the day. But what you're seeing now is when you place them in the room without any electronics, it seems like it's it's difficult for them to, you know, approach one another or even have a conversation unless there's an electronic medium in between. Right. Right. <laughs> and and it's, it's difficult because there are so many electronic mediums. Um, so this is actually video gaming disorder is, is really a, a, me- a specific mental health condition. So if somebody has this, I mean, does insurance cover the treatment in, in some cases? It has to be treated as an addiction or an impulse disorder. Okay. Um, we have a lot of researchers, a lot of professionals and experts out there that are still debating whether this is a true diagnosis. But again, we had this with gambling. Right. And it's, it's something that's been on the rise for a long time. I mean, I know personally I've been seeing it. If gambling was an addiction just like gaming, why did they add the sound of quarters to a machine that now only accepts credit cards? Right. <laughs> That's an excellent point, Dr. DeFord. Um, it, 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 it is troubling. And I think, and you know, yes, they, they can be fun. And yes, they are remarkable works of, of technology and sort of cinema and animation. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes I look at them and I, I'm going, this is just unbelievable that, it, that it, this is a game, but you can see how people can get sucked into them. But I do think that there are a lot of parents that don't realize the extent to which people might be actually interacting with somebody else. And and we don't know who that other person is. I mean, they could say they're a a 16-year-old kid when they could be actually a 36-year-old predator. Absolutely. And the attractiveness of the games is because they know, you know, games can be used as a form of escapism. They're becoming more and more realistic. Wow. Well, listen. I mean, Pac-Man wasn't addictive. Right. I know. I remember Pac-Man, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm there. Well, uh, Doctor uh, Tara Bates DeFord, this is great information, and I think I think people really do need to be aware of it. And I do think you're. I mean, I hearing what you say that that you run into into clients or you know cases where where the parents have no idea about the the level of communication that people are kids are having with people they have never met who could be adults or could be dangerous mm-hmm. people is is really scary stuff and something people need to be aware of. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, uh, Dr. Tara Bates DeFord, she is a marriage and family therapist. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you. All right, folks. All right, Ms. Shaletta, can we take another little break there? Okay. All right. We're going to take a little break. Uh, much more ahead coming up in our eight o'clock hour. We're going to talk with Steve Shear. Uh, he's a former professor of political science about uh, the political co- comings and goings in Minnesota. Really, all all roads seem to lead through Minnesota when it comes to the balance of power in Washington. Certainly, uh, President Trump talked about that. Democrats are talking about that. Uh, it could not be more important. Minnesota's outsized importance. We're going to talk about that in our 8 o'clock. It is 7.53 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, I put out a query for calls about uh, President Trump and President's uh, President Trump's visit to Duluth. I don't know if uh, you folks saw him, if you saw some of the streaming video. Uh, Karen was kind enough to call in, and uh, she's been holding. Uh, Karen, what are your thoughts this evening? And, and thank you for calling. 
Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Actually, I did watch the streaming on WCCO, and um, I really don't have a lot of faith in whatever comes out of the president's mouth. But he did talk about the tariffs, and that seemed to be something that was really appealing to people on the on the Iron Range. And I don't really understand exactly, or can I trust if they're really making a lot of money, if it's really improving the, the job opportunities. And also, aren't other um, companies, I mean, excuse me, other countries, Adding their own tariffs. And well, so, yeah. I mean, I think so we I really get that, right? Well, I think I think that you know the folks on the Iron Range have been hard hit for for many many years. Uh, with, you know, sort of an economic downturn. Uh, they were hit by imports, uh, steel imports, uh, iron ore imports, and, and a lot of jobs were lost. And I think there's a lot of bitterness there. Mm-hmm. The, I think you have an interesting point in that will these tariffs actually result in something positive? So it, it, it does sound good, and it's something that people have been bitter about. Uh, uh-huh. I, I, you know, and but it's not clear, uh, you know, if if a trade war, if suddenly, you know, that that TV you like to buy or you want to buy or that car is suddenly a lot more expensive, who does that help? I mean, it's really not clear what that's going to do, and I think the jury's out, and I don't think we'll know for for quite a well, while on that. You know, when I watched the roundtable before the 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 speech, it sounded like that they actually that people on the Iron Range had actually had some impact and had the jobs had increased and they were having monetary gains that that were you know that that the the president was saying because of him so well, I, I absolutely the president is is the president is clearly taking credit for uh, a boom in you know, your or the lowering of the unemployment rate which is which is definitely lower there's no question well, about that um and he actually got up and said you know during that rally hey and he he is Irritated because there are some people say that, that this rebound really was triggered by uh, growth during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. He's saying no, he deserves the credit, and, and I think I think anytime you're going to have drops in unemployment rate, whoever's in charge is going to take the credit for it. But I think I, I think you you raise some excellent points, and it, it it's it's going to take a while, I think, for us to see the results of the president's actions play out uh, mm-hmm. and, and his policies play out. And what's going to happen? I mean, the one thing yeah. that really struck me, though, you know, being there yeah. is that this is whatever you think of President Trump, he is in his own way. He is a, a charismatic figure, especially for those who are who are, you know, believe in him. But he I really don't think I've seen and I did I've seen one other speech that he gave that was here at the airport two days before the election. But that speech Mm -hmm. was pretty amazing. I mean, I've covered a lot of politicians and he really I don't think I've ever seen a politician enjoy himself so much at a rally. Uh, He he just he seemed to really just love it every second of it. It it was it was so striking. Being a narcissist. Well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> but, but, you know, he, he really charismatic. And, and, and I think he seemed to feed off of that energy. I mean, yeah. I, I think, I think what I really want to know, and, and, you know, I mean, 
a lot of people, including myself, who spent a lot mm-hmm. of time reading stuff about politics, got 2016 wrong. You know, I, I will say yeah. when, I, when, when, I went to, when I went to the airport, you know, two days before the election and saw people were leaving their cars on Highway 77 to jump over fences to see Donald Trump. I said, yeah. some, I said something is going on here. And also yeah. half the people there were women. And this is after the Access Hollywood thing. I said, I know. So, I know. You know, something That's- is happening here. And, and I, I just – I really want to see what's going to happen in these midterm elections. So yeah. who yeah. knows, Karen? But thank you so much yeah. for calling. Uh, I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Well, thanks for your input. Okay, thanks. absolutely. Well, listen, I'm looking forward to talking with uh, Stephen Shear here. This is going to be um, something that will be uh, interesting to chat with him about. Uh, so keep it here. News Radio 830 W. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend it here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 